Welcome to Talkie Talk Podcast for the MediaBios.com. Joining me today is Brent. Hello. And I'm David, and uh, we're going to talk about what we've been watching the last week and or playing. Um, maybe do a little bit of film news and uh, recommend you a, a streamer to, to stream this upcoming weekend. Um, so you want to go first or second, Brent? I'll go first. Okay. All right, so I'm going to start with a 2008 movie that I'd heard of, and I think I'd I'd seen it on my on like Netflix before. Like uh, I always scrolled past it because the title looked dumb, and uh, maybe the I judged the movie by its Netflix cover, and uh, I thought the the cover art looked dumb as well. Uh, and it's a Korean movie from 2008 called The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Are you familiar with this movie? I'm familiar with it only in knowing that it exists and knowing it's uh, I forgot the kind of cheeky type, like genre title they give it like a, a Korean spin on uh, spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. I forget what they call it, but I know Chris has seen it and he likes it, but I'd, I'd love to hear about it. I really liked this movie. It was so much fun. Um, it's, it's a movie that is, uh, I, I think it w- I described it on my, I'm, I'm cribbing my uh, notes from my letterbox review here, but uh, it wears its influences on its sleeve. Uh, it's very deliberate in, in what it kind of pays homage to. It's, I would compare it to like, I think I compared it to Lawrence of Arabia meets Kill Bill. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Kill Bill uh, influence is pretty direct. There's even a musical cue that's directly from Kill Bill. It's, it's a, it's a choice that is too large of a coincidence, you know, to just be a coincidence. Um, mm-hmm. They use a, a disco cover of a Nino Simone song that uh, Quentin Tarantino used in Kill Bill. Um, and I think it's, it's used even better in this movie. It's, uh, oh. it's a beautifully shot movie. It's a whole lot of fun. It stars one of our favorite actors, um, Sang Kung Ho. Sorry, Song Kang Ho. From uh, Parasite? From Parasite, yes. Yeah. Uh, he, so it is, it is essentially, it is a, a kind of a riff on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's about three Korean outlaws in the 1930s in Manchuria. Um, one is the good, and he is a bounty hunter. One is the bad, and he is a, uh, a hitman for hire. And one is the weird, and that's Song Kang Ho. Uh, he is just a, a, a renowned bumbling thief and they are uh, they one of them comes into possession of a map to some treasure and they are trying to race each other as well as the chinese army uh-huh. uh, as well as the japanese army as well as some russian bandits um to get to this uh, treasure and so naturally lawrence of arabia <laughs> well, it's the, the Manchuria aspect of it, it the, uh, the setting. It's sort of their way of, it's their, I think, their best desert setting mm-hmm. um, for that area. And so uh, you do have a lot of scenes where it's shot actually kind of, it, the way it was shot reminds me of Lawrence Arabia because uh, it films the action at times from really far away, like staggeringly far away. Mm-hmm. And it's, really notable in that way and it reminded me of those like super far away shots in Lawrence of Arabia where you can see the guy on the horse uh 
coming towards the camera, but he's just barely moving. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun movie. It's silly and it's uh, it's extremely violent. Um, there's a obviously this is six maybe seven or eight years before, but it it reminded me a little bit also of the the feeling you get from watching uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Huh. Of just you know like there there is at least a scene of uh, just a bunch of people, you know chasing through the desert chasing through a wide open desert which was a whole lot of fun i think it's the best scene in the movie except they're all on horseback it's the horseback version of uh of mad max fury road <laughs> um so they have like a mandolin player strapped to the front of a horse <laughs> that would have been awesome <laughs> uh but no yeah it's not like I, I wouldn't say it's like top tier necessarily but it's it's a whole lot of fun and I regret always skipping past it. So I definitely recommend going to check out the good, the bad, the weird. I think it is currently on Hulu. If anybody wants to watch it. Um, I'll also talk about a movie that I was uh, not expecting to like. And even about 20 minutes into it, I hated it. But ultimately, <laughs> I kind of came around to liking it. It's a 2009 movie called Gamer. Did you ever see Gamer? I uh, did. I think it's, is that the Michael C. Hall and uh, yes, um, Gerard Butler movie? Yeah, it's a polarizing movie. I found after the fact. Uh, did which side are, are you on? I think I liked what it was like trying to do, but also thought yeah. it was uh, kind of messy. If, if I'm, I, I definitely right. think it's messy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the criticisms of this movie, I am totally on board with and, you know, I completely agree with. But I just think it's, I appreciated the way it was just kind of bonkers mm-hmm. and uh, just completely nutty. It's, it felt like the craziest, actioniest Black Mirror episode I've ever seen about, uh, if anybody's unfamiliar, it's uh, where a generic action hero, Gerard Butler, um, is a uh, a criminal who is uh, he offers himself up to be controlled in a video game, uh, and if he makes it through thirty death matches, he he gets his freedom, and that's generally the plot. And uh, it's uh, it's made by the same guy who did the Crank movies uh, just before this, and I would say the action is very similar to the Crank movies. Mm-hmm. as well as the coherence of the movie. <laughs> it's probably it's similar. Neville Dean and Taylor, the, the duo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're supposed to know those names. Like, <laughs> they, they, they throw that up on the screen, like, Neville Dean, Taylor, gamer. It's like, I don't know who Neville Dean or Taylor is. I think you need a little bit more uh, name brand recognition before you can go to that extent. But uh, it's uh, it was... <laughs> I just, I, I really like the way the movie, well, first of all, I think it's actually a pretty effective story or at least a, um, like a narrative as far as like the theme it's trying to get across, which is like how uh, obsessed with um, like online gaming and reality TV can cross over and, uh-huh. and sort of, it, it, I think it plugged into that as well as, I think I think maybe it's more effective in that way than the Hunger Games was, which was a similar uh, theme. Um, but I really love the way that uh, 
it just gets really crazy near the end of this movie with Michael C. Hall as the as the over the top villain, the completely over the top villain. Yeah, one of the only things I remember about him is him just his complete scenery chewing, like buffet he does in the movie. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a dance sequence in this movie. There should no no one would ever expect a dance sequence in a movie like this. I certainly did not. I thought this would just be a very generic. Uh, sloppy action movie but it was uh i think sloppy in the best way yeah it's it's sloppy ambitious which you gotta credit with in that line of like action movie yeah and i actually read i found some there are some very passionate uh critical defenses of that movie further than i'm willing to go but it was it was impressive to read i found a a pretty well-respected critic wound up writing a blog post that was over 10,000 words on why gamer was amazing. And he ultimately uh, put it into a book of his critical writings. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what critic it is, but I was, I, was, I mean, that's, I certainly never heard that sort of uh, dialogue about this movie. I just always assumed it was hated by everyone. That sounds like cluster yeah. manian. <laughs> yeah, Almost I like make a take into a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Gamer was, it, it is not going to be for everyone. It is a dumb action movie that is currently on HBO Max if anyone wants to check it out. But I do think it's, it's um, at least its concepts were much smarter than probably the movie uh, might lead you to believe. Um, I watched a pair of uh, comedies, that, a rewatched pair of comedies that just recently hit uh, Hulu. They have not, I don't think they've streamed in a while, so I wanted to alert people that Best in Show and A Mighty Wind are both available on Hulu. And those are my two favorite Christopher Guest movies. Uh, David, I'm sure you've seen those, right? Yes, yeah, I have. Are you a fan? Yeah, I really love Best in Show and really appreciate A Mighty Wind. And the yeah. music in A Mighty Wind is so much better than it needs to be. It's amazing. And it kind of like uh, really, really escalates it. Yeah, in fact, I think that's, uh, I think A Mighty Wind is my favorite of the two. I think I think it's funnier having watched them back to back. I think it's funnier. And uh, A Mighty Wind, I think my favorite thing about it is that you know, both of these movies and most of the Christopher Guest movies, they, they lampoon a certain, a really thin, you know, slice of, of the, the world. Like people mm-hmm. who go to dog shows, people who are really into folk music, uh, people who do local community theater. And uh, I was impressed with the love that uh guest and and the filmmakers had for folk music and i I think it really shines through i don't think he he necessarily has contempt for any of his subjects but i think you can just really feel the admiration for folk music shine through while they're imprinting it in a moment and i think that i found that to be really endearing yeah um i go a little hot and cold on christopher guest some of his i'm not a big bigger fan on Mm-hmm. on what you're touching on is I think you can really feel his cynicism and his uh, kind of t- kind of punching down to things yeah. like people that uh, especially waiting for Guffman I haven't seen it you know in probably over a decade and a half or so but you know you're really in Hollywood punching down to local musical theater 
people, but uh, he's definitely it's a it's definitely a change the reverence he has for that music as opposed to like the uh you know i guess punching sideways like in the four year i don't know if you've ever seen four year consideration but like awards like contention and running for stuff you know the the cynicism and the kind of the uh the thinly disguised bile there kind of works a little better yeah i remember not i don't really remember uh, much about for your consideration, except not liking it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have seen Waiting for Guffman, and I remember very little about that. It's probably been you know equally or, or longer for me since I've seen it, and I don't remember it um, as fondly. The uh, honestly, best in show. He's he's kind of a little more, I think, critical of of the, the the scene in best in show but i think it i think the comedy really works well in best in show yeah um but no a mighty wind though i think the, the cynicism is is largely gone in a mighty wind it's just uh it's a very sweet movie and a very very funny one but um yeah it has some genuine like uh you know heart wrenching drama at the center of it you know mickey mm-hmm. and uh what is it mickey and Mitch. Mitch Key and Mitch, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I recommend that everybody go check those out. My wife had never seen either one of those movies, and so um, I, we, I was excited to show those to her. I used to watch A Mighty Wind like once every few months just because I, I really enjoyed the music. Even though most of it's ridiculous, uh, I still, it's, it's really well-crafted ridiculous music, but mm-hmm. much like uh, Spinal Tap, honestly. But, um, yeah. Other than that, I'll, I'll wrap up with the uh, two movies I've watched. Um, I uh, have started watching the major works of Akira Kurosawa. Um, nice. And so, go ahead. I was just going to say, nice. I've had uh, Akira Kurosawa in my queue forever. And just uh, not that it's there's that much of a hurdle to watch it because a lot of it's on Criterion almost all of it that's worthwhile is on criterion. It's just, uh, just haven't taken the plunge to kind of jump in. Yeah. So it, I, I had started Kurosawa a few months ago, but I, I tried to watch all Kurosawa. And the problem is that I watched his first three movies and they range from okay to terrible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of them, actually two of them are, are wartime propaganda movies. Um, and they're they're pretty bad. One is just a a pretty rote uh, martial arts movie that's uh, and that's his first movie and it's nothing to really write home about. And then the next one is just about women working in a factory to, for Japan and how you know heroic that is. And the third movie he made was a sequel to the first martial arts movie, except this time instead of a, a similar villain, uh, he had an American soldier as the villain. Um, because because the state actually requested that for his movie. So it, it became a little bit of a slog for me to try to get through his early, I don't know, eight or so movies. But um, that's why I decided to just hit the, the big highlights. And that starts with, I think it's uh, the first movie of his that really uh, a lot of people point to is a 1949 movie called Stray Dog. Mm-hmm. And it is a police procedural. It's a kind of a, a noir movie 
which uh, I never associate with Kurosawa because I think his his most famous things are are typically, uh, you know, set in the 1500s or so. And Edo era samurai stories, yeah. Right. And so uh, Stray Dog is set contemporary times. It's 19, 1949. And it's, a, it's about a rookie detective played by uh, Mifune, who would be a uh, longtime collaborator with him, mm-hmm. Shiro Mifune. And uh, he gets his gun stolen on a bus. And he, being a rookie, he obsesses over his, his mistake and he is working to try to find out who stole it. And it just sort of leads him from point A to B to C. And he winds up working alongside uh, a guy named uh, Detective Sato, who is played by Takashi Shimura, who is another frequent collaborator of Kurosawa. He's somebody whose name I would probably not recognize, but he is uh, a face I definitely would. Mm-hmm. if anyone looks him up but he's uh he's more of a veteran and it winds up being kind of a very early buddy cop movie it's not a comedy but it's a it is a buddy cop um procedural movie it's set in the the dog days of summer and it's an extremely sweaty movie <laughs> that's how mm-hmm. i describe it everyone is sweat stained <laughs> it's um you know, post-war, post-defeat Japan, and there's a lot of uh, general just cynicism and malaise and people just not really caring at that point. And, and I think that's present in this movie. And it's, uh, you can see that Kurosawa is a really gifted filmmaker as you watch this movie, the way he shoots things and uh, the acting is really, really strong. It's, uh, the one issue maybe is that it's a little too direct in its in the way the plot kind of just the dominoes fall, which is just uh, they'll go to a place, a uh, place A, and they'll find a piece of evidence, and they'll then follow that to place B, where they'll find a new thing, and it leads them to C and D. And maybe there's just too much of that. Maybe it's too many, too many points till you get to the end. It's a constantly moving movie, um, but. It is it is good, and I would recommend it. I think it is a pretty good starting point for Kurosawa, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, following that, though, I, I think I went to the first what of uh, what is truly essential for him, and that's Rashomon. Have you seen Rashomon? I have. I saw it in uh, college, you know, especially years ago. Um, but really uh, taken taken by it. Um, Definitely has been a long time, though. Yeah, I, I'd I'd seen it maybe ten years ago or so, and so I was really looking forward to watching it again. And uh, it's it's a masterpiece. It's just brilliant. It's honestly, it's easy to take it for granted how how brilliant it is because you know now we 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 watch a movie like The Last Jedi and we point to say, oh, it's a you know it's a homage to Rashomon, and and I think I think the the central conceit of Rashomon, which is uh, the same story told from three different uh, or actually four different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And you'd have no idea if any are even reliable, if they're lying to us, the viewer, or if they're just lying to themselves. And I think that's so well known that it's easy to almost overlook just how ingenious it was. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, 
it's an extremely well lit movie. Um, a lot of it takes place under uh, in the sort of the middle of a hot day, but under uh, a lot of foliage. So you have you have the sun that is scattering through, and then you have shadows that are kind of moving around as the characters move around. And so it's um, it's really effective because it, it's just sort of I don't know. It's I, I like the way that all all characters seem to be camouflaged in in a mix of light and shadow. So you never quite know who to trust. And that's the point. You're not, the point isn't finding the person to trust. It's the, the point is that you, you can't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the central image that kind of sticks with me of like uh, basically the camera pointing straight up at the sky and like the, the, the glare and the bleed of the light going through all the, uh, the foliage, the, the bamboo and, all the the just making the forest a real um, mystical and mis mysterious place has kind of like a memory play in that. But I found that uh, e even back then, before seeing a lot of stuff, that that's really striking what they do there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it got me thinking a lot about uh, something that we've talked about before on the podcast, which is uh, you know, unreliable narrators, and uh, I think this is is maybe my favorite example of an unreliable narrator because we just, we don't know if we don't know who's telling us the truth. You know, we may suspect that it's not, it's not uncommon in movies for characters to lie to each other. And we may suspect that they're lying. And it's not uncommon for, for characters to have, uh, you know, to be delusional and for us to think oh, that that person's probably delusional, but typically what we, the audience sees is at least, typically an honest appraisal of what that character believes to be real. Yeah. You at least have some, some kind of mooring or like straight, straight man to kind of compare that against. Yeah. To tip you off that, that something is unreliable or to mistrust anything. But this is, it's more like real life of, you know, if something actually happens, you just got four people. Right. So it's very, it's kind of unsettling in that way. To, to watch a movie and and the movie is sort of uh, very much aimed at us it's about that relationship uh, as well the relationship between a filmmaker and the audience because you know you think about the scenes where they're giving their testimony and we never see uh the judge or the the i don't know who's making these decisions in that era but we never see the the people they're giving their testimony to we actually never even hear them in the movie they just, uh, they'll say like, and what, what happened to the knife? Like the, the characters that are mm -hmm. delivering the testimony will say, uh, they'll repeat questions that we never heard asked. And I think that speaks to the relationship specifically with us that the movie is trying to have. Um, it's a, it's a really impressive movie and it's also a very, uh, quick little watch too. It's, if anyone's wanting to get into, uh, Kurosawa, this is a very tiny hurdle. It's a, it's an hour and 28 minutes. Perfect. And it is currently on, it's on the Criterion channel. It's also on HBO Max too, for people who don't have that. So um, I think his, his biggest works are all on HBO Max. I want to say, I think Ikiru is, and I, I'm pretty sure Seven Samurai is as well. So, um, but Rashomon's as far as I've gotten, I'm looking for, I'm really looking forward to continuing with this. Um, it's just sort of for my own uh, cinematic education. I'm trying to do this, but it's, uh, it's been rewarding so far. Well, nice. That's yeah, it. Thank, 
I think I've only ever seen Rashomon and I've seen part of Akiru, but never finished it. No good, no good real reason why I didn't. I just need to kind of start it from the beginning and finish it. What I saw, I really enjoyed. It's not like I, I stopped because I, I gave up or anything. Um, it's, it's <laughs> I, I have seen uh, Seven Samurai before, and I'm actually really excited to watch it again. I, it's, it's a very long movie, so it's one that you might have to break up into two parts, but it's, it's, it's really, really fun. And then uh, the other movie I've seen of his is I have seen either Ran or Kagemusha, which are his two like samurai films from the eighties. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not actually don't even know which one I've seen. So I, I should, I know I've seen it, but I, I don't know the first thing about it. So I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. watching those as well, but that's it for me. Cool. Well, for me, um, I'm trying a new uh, Oracle. Or at I got to hear new... about it. I love hearing about Oracles. <laughs> Oracle talk. So uh, just because, man, it just dawned on me with, with HBO Max now and everything I have access to, there are, there's just so much out there. And um, I was trying, I'm trying to think uh, of doing my, also my own little film school here and there. Um, especially with um, what I'm trying to do right now is go through and kind of self-guide through some great directors out there. And I kind of have, uh, I have them grouped right now of the, uh, the historically great directors that are mostly white guys. that get most of the credit. I have an international group and I have a female, female director group to kind of do some, uh, do some guided um, work through. And of course, I got them in a spreadsheet, <laughs> like all their movies. And I got a like a critical ranking. Uh, is it streaming? And did it have any Academy Award nominations? <laughs> and if I'm checking the box, I haven't seen it, and it's 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 a decent ranking and it's streamable. I'm trying to check out some of these directors of uh, directors I know, but haven't really actually seen some, or you know, I've only seen some of their movies. Some of them I've seen zero of their movies before. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. Mainly it's actually, it's very that. similar to, to why I'm watching Kurosawa as well. It's uh, built off of a, a, a list of directors, but I'll, I'll tell you about that later. It's, 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 you'll, you will, you will laugh when you hear what I've done, but I bet go, it's go insanely ahead. intricate. <laughs> so I, just, uh, I pulled, I pulled, well, I'll just say this. I pulled open my, um, my spreadsheet of movies. There are 18,556 movies. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when you have access to all of them, you need a system, right? So, so, so a lot of these are uh, great movies, and I don't have, really have a lot to talk about just because, you know, hey, it's true. They're great. Um, so I'll skip a couple here. I did see uh, – I'll just briefly touch on uh, The Archers. That's uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Mm-hmm. They're British filmmaking duo. Um, I'd already seen a couple of their masterpieces. Of, uh, I've seen The Red Shoes before. Highly recommend that. I don't know if it's streaming right now, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Also saw um, uh, Matter of Life and Death. It's got David Niven in it, and it's it's like a uh, guy goes to heaven and kind of has to justify his life. You, you saw that a bunch of times again. 
I saw one of the earlier ones, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. I have. 40s movie, very centered on uh, like the topic of Britishness. It's a guy from his 20s, goes all the way into his 60s, and takes about three hours. It was pretty good. It, it, was, it was pretty enjoyable. Um, so that was uh, touching on the archers. I, I haven't seen much David Lean movies other than the biggest ones. Lawrence of Arabia I've seen, and uh, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai also I've seen. Mm-hmm. But one of his earlier ones, small-scale ones, Brief Encounter, um, it was in the mid-40s. It's kind of a story of a doomed affair. Um, it's really small-scale, most of it taking place within a train terminal in this woman's uh, living room. Um, really loved that movie. Um, you know, I'm a sucker for a small-scale story told you know, very well, and it's very human. Um, also, I know you've seen this movie. Um, I'm just kind of bouncing from director to director. I don't have the, uh, the patience for the completionist from the beginning. I'm kind of, you know, I'll touch on somebody, then go to somebody else. Um, trying to shore up my Kubrick um, blind spots. And one of them is Paths of Glory. Great movie. Yeah, I finally ended up watching it. I believe it's on, uh, where did I watch it on? I forget. I watched it on something because I've seen it. Okay. 1957 movie, anti-war movie in World War One. Kirk Douglas is General Dax, um, going up against well, basically just stupidity, incompetence, and pride instead of doing the right thing. And man, is Kirk Douglas just just a firebrand in that movie? He's he's such a avatar of righteous anger. I think it's the most effective anti-war movie I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it just it just highlights the callousness of those who do not actually have to go on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, also, I looked it up. It, it, it's it's on it's on Tubi TV. It's currently streaming on Tubi. It's also on a uh, Vudu with ads. So it's it, you can watch it free on either one of those platforms. Yeah, I saw it on Vudu with ads. <laughs> if you can imagine that movie being broken up with like a. Uh, Carfax, <laughs> Carfax commercial. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I think it's so effective that Kubrick shows like such a slow tracking shot of trench warfare, just like inch by inch, them taking you know part of the ant hill and bombs going off and people crawling under barbed wire. And still, the most disturbing thing about that movie is not the trench warfare; it is the pride and stupidity of this brigadier general. Yeah. And this try this farce tribunal that's at the, the center of this movie. Yeah. The tribunal is just, it's un, unbearable. I would rather watch the, the battle scenes than the tribunal. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, I also saw another 1957 movie, uh, dipping my toes into Billy Wilder. Um, I've seen the apartment, but and uh, some like it hot. Not much after that. I saw a witness for the prosecution. This is a yeah, fifty-seven movie with Charles Lawton, who I haven't really seen in many movies before. I know he's an Oscar winner, and he's you know he's he's a uh, cartoonishly ever-present uh, figure in old Hollywood. Like they'd have old Looney Tunes with like a Charles Lawton type figure. Always a big fat guy but with a ton of charisma. 
is let me ask is witness for the prosecution i i've i've either seen this or i've seen another movie with a similar title um it's got one of those like generic like uh this lets you know this is a courtroom drama uh, movie is this one is it a british courtroom drama yes oh okay i've seen that i really liked it yeah the other one i always confuse this one with is anatomy of a murder <laughs> anatomy of a murder and witness for the prosecution are both like you know four words courtrooms <laughs> It's like uh, they made a movie they didn't have a title for, and they just they're like, well, we can open up our little shoebox here of, uh, of you know, pre-made titles for, uh, you know, courtroom dramas. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one is definitely it's based on Agatha Christie story, and there is a uh, there's a twist to it. It's definitely a mystery thriller, you know, being uh, wound through a court case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to give it away, but the uh, the the title does play into that it's not it seems generic but i've said too much <laughs> but this also has a uh, marlene dietrich i haven't seen her in too much and she's uh she's pretty great here you know it, they billy wilder uses her kind of like icy persona to great effect she's a german wife of an american and you know part of her struggle is this was post-war and people in britain didn't like german people and she's trying to come go to her husband's aid. And that that's part of using her iciness and her off, you know, her off-putting German-ness, um, using that in the movie really well. But the uh, main thing in this movie is, man, Charles Lawton is, can act. He's one of those like actors, actors, like one of the, one, one, one person actors say is like one of the best pure actors out there. And he's, uh, he's very funny he knows his way around a witty line and with uh, Agatha Christie filtered through Billy Wilder, there's a ton of witty lines for him. Um, definitely recommend it. It's very entertaining. It was a pretty good year of 57. Had Paths of Glory, Witness for the Prosecution, Bridge on the River Kwai, 12 Angry Men. There's a whole bunch out there. Throne of Blood, another Kurosawa. Yeah. Also, and it had uh, Ing- Ingmar Bergman, who's also my great director's thing. I haven't dove into yet seventh seal and wild strawberries are both 57 so good year um also saw and loved who's afraid of virginia wolf um i've only seen the big and this is now going over to mike nichols i've only seen the big mike nichols ones like uh, graduate and a lot of their more recent stuff he's a recent director so i've seen a lot of his more recent things like uh primary colors um closer and charlie wilson's war but uh Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Have you ever seen that? I have not. Yeah, it's in uh, 66, and this is um, Mike Nichols' debut, and it's uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, one of their first, uh, one of her, their early pairings, but it is uh, it is virtuosic, the use of language in that movie, to um, shame another human being and ridicule them in front of other people. <laughs> wow. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like in the loop or the thick of it, how they use profanity just for, you know, and or like uh, Veep in a virtuosic sense. They do this here without the use of curse words and just like extreme belittling for two straight hours. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely cringeworthy, a lot of the, the things that happen on there, but it is uh, it's beautifully shot. 
on location, which I think was rare for the day, even though it's just like a kitchen sink drama, just take place in the living room. They still have like tracking shots walking through college campus. Um, I highly recommend it, you know, especially if you like, I compare this on Letterboxd to uh, still less cringeworthy than the dinner party of Michael and Jan <laughs> in the <laughs> office. Yeah, it's, uh, the tagline for this movie is you are cordially invited to George and Martha's for an evening of fun and games. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it sounds like that's a, a bit of an ironic tagline. It is. It's, uh, it is, um, it's just pretty brilliant, you know, how it all comes together. And I hadn't seen the too much of the brilliance of Elizabeth Taylor. I know her more in my childhood as like a person who was on commercials for like white diamonds the first thing it's, it's or like in a flintstones live action movie sequel it's like a funny cameo but yeah it, her most famous role in our childhood was that of elizabeth taylor yeah divorcee yeah. famous friend of michael jackson and bubbles the chimp but she is uh she's she's insanely electric in this movie she plays like 20 years older than she really is which is a rare um, direction for acting to go um really uh really brilliant movie though i liked it a lot should check that out because i've always uh, again with elizabeth taylor i've always just sort of she was a movie star and i don't think i was ever really quite i never had first-hand experience of why she was a mm-hmm. movie star i was just aware that she was and i've never really seen i don't think i've ever seen an Elizabeth Taylor performance that was memorable mm-hmm. or at least, you know, good, something beyond her showing up to be Elizabeth Taylor, like in the Flintstones. Yep. And, uh, Oh, and also Richard Burton is incredible. I don't know him a lot of, from a lot other than being Elizabeth Taylor's, um, husband, then ex-husband, then husband, then ex-husband. But, uh, he uses his actual English accent here. And, uh, yeah, has a real way with the um, with the language from the play. It's based on a Edward Albee play, and it's it's like rapid fire, like long days, long uh, journeys, long days journey into night style dialogue, where it's it's uh, very layered, and he's he's incredible in it too. I want to touch on uh, one or two more here. I watched uh, Spike Lee's debut, which I'd never seen before. I got a lot of blind spots for Spike Lee. Uh, She's got to have it. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, 1986. Um, it's a black and white movie set in New York, of course. But um, it's about, uh, and they also did a Netflix series about this just recently that kind of has the same same plot. But Nola Darling is a is the main character who is a woman who proclaims she can't be a one woman, a one man woman. So she's got uh, three men that she is uh, um, dating. And the combination of the three is the perfect man for her. And huh. uh, what's really kind of unique for the time is a character like that is not vilified or um, kind of disdained for her lifestyle. She's kind of, it kind of just shows it at it as is and doesn't really cast any, any aspersions on, on her as a character. Um, kind of just almost offends her by uh, you see some of these guys and kind of the, uh, um, the dating pool that she's working with. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of these are, were actors that didn't go on to do much else, but uh, this does have Spike Lee casting himself in the movie. He's Mars Blackmon. 
um, who was famous for uh, in the '90s, '80s and '90s, being in a bunch of Nike commercials. And he's he's a lot of fun in the movie as as that guy, kind of motor motor mouth, um, braggadocious, um, tiny kind of guy. Is he one of the three suitors? He is, yeah. Um, it's him. There, there's a guy who's um, who's a bodybuilder and a guy who is um, kind of into uh, literature and art. So between the three of them, she kind of builds the perfect person. And it's it's a really interesting movie. Um, does a kind of mixed narrative telling approach of sometimes the characters speak to the camera. So they're like doing talking head. Um, talking head interviews and sometimes it's just straight out scenes sometimes it's just scenes of jazz you know someone just playing the saxophone in the street it, it's that kind of movie but it's a uh, it's another kind of uh new york in the summer vibe that uh, spike lee does really well um that's his favorite vibe i think between <laughs> do the right thing and um uh the summer of sam Mm-hmm. And numerous, numerous other movies. He's it's his uh, sweet spot. Yeah, but I was uh, I was um, pleasantly surprised with that. You know, some of the debut and early stuff you you may see the seeds of what they'll end up doing better. But he, right. Spike almost came fully formed, and it's easy to see how he was uh, he was kind of a big deal immediately. That he had a unique and confident voice, you know, in his first movie. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, I recommend that. I think uh, that's on Netflix. There's a bunch of Spike Lee on Netflix right now. Um, and the only other thing kind of going to uh, more latter day I saw was I saw Hamilton, an American musical. You know, <clears throat> famously debuted around July 4th on Disney Plus now. Um, so how was it? It was... Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, what, I, what I, level of familiarity did you have with Hamilton before this? Next to none, other than awareness. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen a live musical at all. I like filmed musicals, but uh, so in that aspect, like I'm completely unqualified to give any any critique on it as a musical. Um, but just as a movie, it's definitely an entertaining movie. It's it's a film performance from uh, the main cast being together four years ago. Um, so it's uh, very stagey. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sometimes you can see where they, they've cut together multiple performances. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell where you're supposed to be looking with so, so much stuff happening on uh, one stage, <clears throat> excuse me, and the stage <clears throat> rotates in the middle. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of staging. There's a lot of structure that's you know being that was was built and is moving in the middle of scenes. Um, but highly entertaining, and uh, it's close to three hours, which is pretty pretty common for I guess a, a musical. Um, a little less common for a a movie on Disney Plus, right? But uh, yeah, it just dawns on you after after you're watching it for a little bit of how impossible it feels. Like 
how it even came to exist. Right. So reading Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton and then making a Tony Award-winning like cultural zeitgeist thing of it's going to be a hip-hop adaptation of a founding father. <laughs> and everyone is going to love it. <laughs> music, music is great. And music is great and very catchy. Um, yeah. I, I had next to no, no familiarity with it at all. I hadn't really he- <clears throat> heard many of the songs even. Other than maybe on TV if something was, was getting played. And uh, just wanted to see what all the hubbub was about. Yeah, I actually recently, maybe a month ago, I watched a Spike Lee movie that was also a filmed stage production. Uh, it was called Passover. Mm-hmm. And it's about, uh, basically, it's, a, it's about a very um, relevant stage, uh, stage show to, to what's going on. It's about two young black men in Chicago on a street corner and their interactions with uh, passersby, and, and that includes a uh, police officer. And uh, pretty a harrowing movie, and, uh, but also at times funny. Like, I mean, it, it's Spike Lee, so that's what you mm-hmm. expect. Um, but, uh, he felt it was uh, written by, I cannot remember the woman's name who wrote the, the play, but, um, uh, Spike Lee just basically requested permission to go film a private performance of it. And he invited a bunch of, uh, uh, I, I don't know how he decided who came, but he invited people to go see the movie and, or to go see the play. And, and uh, uh-huh. it's, it's interesting watching a movie of a stage performance because there's they they don't really uh this movie didn't really hide it very much do, do you get um do you feel like the audience is there in hamilton you you do and that is kind of jarring sometimes yeah uh, to kind of it kind of brings you out of it sometimes you hear the crowd applauding at the end of a musical number where it's, you know, Hamilton is completely, almost completely sung from beginning to end, like, like Les Mis, like a, that's how all the story happens and all the character development. So they'll, they'll do a famous number and then there'll be applause break, or there's a line between two characters and then there'll be a laugh line from the audience. Yeah. In, in Passover, it's very effective because the, um, there's a moment that just shocks the audience and, I think seeing the audience to shock is very palpable, but I don't know. I don't think it necessarily benefited uh, the, the, the story or the, the film. I don't exactly know what to call it when it's, when it's a movie of a, of a play, but um, it didn't really benefit it until that point. And so I was curious if it, if um, you know what you thought of the experience just from that side, aside from what sounds, I mean, I haven't seen Hamilton, but I would imagine Hamilton, the, the story itself and the performance on the stage is fantastic. So, yeah. but beyond that, with the experience of watching a movie of a performance, I, I was curious about that experience for you. Yes, yeah, definitely. You, you feel, I mean, it's, it's not going to be the same thing. So if yeah. I have any critique yeah. and people have actually seen Hamilton, you know, take that for what it's worth, you're going to be a layer or two removed seeing it this way it's it's obviously meant to be live theater which is why it's 
I mean, that's its whole reason for existing <laughs> is that that part of it. Um, yeah, you never you know, you never really lose yourself in it. Um, you you are aware of it. I think more than I more than I thought it would be, but I don't know. It's still it's just like uh, it's just hanging out with great actors, you know, singing some great songs, and they're kind of. I don't know. It's, it's really weird to kind of, kind of critique though. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. But after that, that's it. That's all I'll talk about. Finish with Hamilton. Well, it sounds like we watched a lot of really good movies. Yeah. Recently. It's not always the case. It's nice to, it's nice to have things to recommend. Yeah. I kind of, I've tried to keep up with a bunch of 2020 movies before this. And then I kind of dipped into the past. So it was nice to take a little, little breather because there's not a ton of new stuff that is uh, that worthy right now, at least in the previous couple weeks. So after watch list, uh, maybe we'll let people know something they can do to help us. Yeah. It'd be great if you guys could, uh, things you can do to help us are, um, Subscribe to the podcast on every podcatcher you can possibly download. Um, we won't we won't judge. We would we would appreciate it and definitely give us a rating um, as high as possible. Would be nice and uh, definitely tell your friends about us. We we uh, we would appreciate that. You can also get in touch with us on our Facebook page at the Facebook page. The media by us. Our Facebook groups. TV by TV by us movies by us and games by us and also we have our twitter at the media by us our gmail the media by us at gmail.com and uh brent is doing a tiktok for media by us he just doesn't know yet <laughs> he's been assigned uh the media by us tiktok i'm gonna be the official reviewer of all things quibby <laughs> man can you tell it's been a little bit since i've done that a little, little rusty on this <laughs> but appreciate you guys. So um, that being said, do you have any uh, breezy to discuss? Any news? I do not. I don't think, uh, I don't think I've really heard anything other than uh, Hamilton's not going to be eligible for the Oscars, right? Yeah. I saw that article. Um, oh, I, was just, which... uh, I, I posted it as a uh, message to, to TJ knowing he knows a lot of arcane Oscar rules. I was like, what could it be eligible for? Would, <laughs> would it, it not be a, yeah a doc is what i would think but yeah there there are uh instances instances of the past you know i read the article that, that was posted of you know people getting acting nominations from a filmed performance like Lawrence olivier and othello is comes to mind that's a, that was a filmed performance of the othello play but they apparently uh in the nineties made a specific rule. Like you can't just film plays and it get nominated. So it's ineligible. I think across the board, like not even as a documentary. Now I suppose if, yeah, I, I can, I can see that I suppose it's, but it is weird. Yeah. Because they were, because the uh, the COVID impacted Oscar rule is, if you intended to theatrically release, they can do digital only movies, and this was intended to release next summer, and they pulled it in to go now, so oh, wow. it would have been eligible. 
interesting thing is it could possibly be eligible for Emmys because staged filmed musicals and plays on TV, like the Masterpiece Theater presents something, it do end up getting Emmy nominations or like uh, like Jesus Christ Superstar, the remake they they filmed on NBC. Or just like the, the Sunday night NBC things like the, uh, the, the Peter Pan musical or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Pan musical or like the, the all in the family new, uh, like TV recreation. Those can get as well as they film Shakespeare plays and uh, like on PBS or something. And like Anthony Hopkins will get a random Emmy nomination for being in that, being in a play. So I don't know the, the weird, awards person to me was thinking what could this be eligible for uh but that's 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 pretty much it that's all that comes to mind for news yeah only other thing i i can think of is they invited uh speaking of Oscars, they invited 820 new prospective members to the academy and uh <clears throat> they met their diversity goals they set from five years ago of uh they doubled the number of women voting members in the Academy and they doubled the, the uh, underrepresented ethnic and racial communities that are in the Academy and doubled international um, members of the Academy. Nice. One, yeah. one other bit of news, uh, sad news is Ennio Morricone passed away. Yeah, uh, that, that's a big one. And we should also mention Carl Reiner as well passing away. Cause I think that was fairly, I think that was since our last podcast. So two uh, fairly big presences in, uh, in film over the last yep. God, impact 60 being, years. Yeah. Impact being largely felt by those guys. I think they were both in their, their nineties. Yeah. So it did leave lead uh, nice full lives, but uh, Ennio Morricone was composing up until like just a few years ago. Some he did the Hateful Eight, at least. Uh, I don't know if, if he's done anything since, but yeah, I'm not sure. Um, he was kind of just living in an Italian villa, um, which is not a bad way to go. Not at all. Yeah. So that's all I had for uh, for for breezy. Well, let's talk about what's coming out this weekend. Yeah. Okay, a lot of uh, pretty interesting choices here. So. One is uh, on, this is going to be on VOD. Uh, it's called First Cow. It's a 2019 movie from director Kelly Reichardt, mm-hmm. who did uh, Meek's Cutoff is probably her most notable movie. Yeah. Wendy and Lucy, um, Old Joy, kind of uh, slow core movies that are very beautiful and very moving. But I, so, I get to really take a plunge into for those reasons. <laughs> So let me give you the brief rundown of this. A loner and skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon territory, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business, although its longevity is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. (laughs) And this movie has gotten pretty rave reviews this year. Yeah, it's it's uh you know a bunch of uh, it being middle of the year, a bunch of lists came out of the best movies of the year so far. This being an interesting year for that kind of thing, I've I've seen First Cow on nearly all of them. It's a hell of a plot description, <laughs> but um, 
so that's a full short story (laughs) uh all right so we also have uh coming to i think apple tv or apple plus is greyhound a first-time captain leads a convoy of allied ships carrying thousands of soldiers across the treacherous waters of the black pit to the front lines of world war ii With no air cover protection for five days, the captain and his convoy must battle the surrounding enemy Nazi U-boats in order to give the Allies a chance to win the war. Starring Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Shue. Okay. Um, Her. Directed by Aaron Schneider, who uh, did a movie called Get Low. So that's an option. I've seen Get Low was the uh, Bill Murray movie with Robert Duvall. Where he uh, he plans his own funeral in like the 1920s. We also have a new movie for Netflix called The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron, led by a warrior named Andy. Let me just confirm that she is. Yes, she is Andy. Uh, a covert group of tight-knit mercenaries with a mysterious inability to die have fought to protect the mortal world for centuries. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, there's more to it, but uh, that's the, the basic idea behind The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron, uh, Chwetel Ejiofor, and not a lot of other people that I recognize. So that will be on Netflix. We also have Palm Springs coming to Hulu from director Max Barbacow. When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, as well as J.K. Simmons. Uh-uh. Uh, and uh, two more movies. Uh, one was Relic, which is coming to VOD. When Edna, the elderly and widowed matriarch of the family, goes missing, her daughter Kay and granddaughter Sam travel to their remote family home to find her. Soon after her return, they start to discover a sinister presence haunting the house and taking control of Edna. It's got Emily Mortimer. Um, so it's a horror film. And then finally, uh, another VOD release, Sometimes Always Never, directed by Carl Hunter. Uh, Alan is a stylish tailor with moves as sharp as his suits. He has spent years searching tirelessly for his missing son, Michael, who stormed out over a game of Scrabble. With a body to identify and his family torn apart, Alan must repair the relationship with his youngest son and solve the mystery of an online player who he thinks could be Michael. So he can finally move on and reunite his family. It's got Bill Nighy. What's that movie called again? Uh, Occasionally, frequently, rarely. (laughs) So before the podcast, I was confusing that with the never, rarely, sometimes, always. That other movie that's in the top, like top movies of the year so far list. I was to a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I was like, this movie's got really good reviews, and I just scrolled down and I was like, oh no, never mind. This movie got middling reviews, <laughs> but it has a terrible title, as does that great movie apparently. So yeah. sometimes, always, never. So uh, you've got uh, six movies to choose from. What's your uh, what's your preference? Do you have a a favorite here? I do really want to catch uh, First Cow, but it's probably going to be something I really want to watch, and maybe I'll probably catch like at the very end of the year because I will want to have seen it. My actual vote is going to go to Palm Springs as a it's a comedy, 
and it's Andy Samberg and Kristen Miliati and uh, the the twist. I don't know if it's a twist. Every review talks about it. Is there's a Groundhog Day element to that, and I'm always a sucker for that. Whether it's Edge of Tomorrow, the actual Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day, it's always a yeah. fun mechanic to have them there, and to have that in the middle of a, uh, I guess Groundhog Day's a rom com, but kind of a uh, uh, party rom com with Andy Samberg sounds fun. So yeah. I'm gonna go Palm Springs. Could be kind of like Russian Doll in that respect. Yeah, that would be that would be fun. Uh, Palm Springs. It's probably my pick as well, although I am interested. I, I do think I will probably watch The Old Guard at some point just because uh, Charlize Theron in a, what, what I don't know, I'm getting the feeling it's kind of a just turn your brain off and just enjoy some action kind of movie, which, uh, which could be fun as well. Yeah, and I, always, I'll, I will always watch Charlize Theron in anything. She's awesome. Yeah. All right, so two votes for Palm Springs on Hulu. Hulu. All right, so we got our pick for streamer of the week. Hopefully, it's watch list worthy. I guess we'll find out next time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that does it for another uh, talkie talk. I want to say thank you, Brent. Thank you, David. Thank you, and thank you, anyone who is listening and uh, watching, and we love you, and we'll tuck you in. Even if it was accidental. Yeah. Any any way you do it, whether it's rarely, sometimes, never, always, <laughs> we'll take you as a listener. <laughs> I'll get those titles right eventually, but it will not be right now. <laughs> I guess I could probably be looking at them and I'll still mess them up. But anyway, kicking rocks thank you guys. down old dusty road. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.